welcome to another edition of Sports Talk with Tonsoni. This podcast, a Bracket U production from Delphi Bracketology, where we will be discussing the upcoming Final Four. Joining me are Connor Hope and Brian Morrow of Busting Brackets, where we will look back at the excellent weekend at the Sweet 16 and Elite 8 and give you our picks for the upcoming Final Four. But first, a word from our sponsors. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to uh, Sports Talk with Tonsoni. A Delphi Bracketology production tonight, Bracket U, a Final Four discussion. Uh, we have Connor Hope n- uh, right now and Brian Morrow, both from Busting Brackets. Great uh, uh, contributors and, and writers on the game of uh, college basketball uh, planning on joining us tonight. And Connor and I are going to get started here talking just a little bit about what has happened so far in the NCAA tournament and, and, and uh, a Final Four preview. And so... Um, Hope that you uh, find this useful in planning your parties and your watching uh, habits this weekend. Connor, how are you doing this evening? Doing really well. Thanks, Brian. So, so Connor, so far uh, the NCAA tournament was a lot of chalk early. Uh, a lot of people always like to see Cinderella's and upsets. But when it got down to the Sweet 16 last weekend, there were some quality basketball games between some good programs, some overtime games, some real close battles, and an interesting Final Four What are your thoughts after a solid weekend of tournament basketball? Yeah, I think that this tournament kind of proved what a lot of people were saying pretty much all season was that there was this group of 10 to 12 teams that were just a step above everyone else. um, And there was a lot of parity among those 10 to 12, but not necessarily any new teams that were really pushing it. And if you look at, the teams that were in the elite eight specifically, you got a lot of those teams in the top 10 to 12. The only real outlier being Auburn who was projected to be in the top 10 preseason and has been hot and cold all year, depending on their shooting. Uh, and they're just playing their best basketball of the season, but there were no real surprises um, in this tournament. And I mean, the final four are the four best teams playing right now i mean duke struggled for quite a bit of the tournament gonzaga had two pretty bit bad offensive duds uh one in the elite eight one in the wcc championship game uh kentucky had pj washington but he was he was inconsistent at the line and and they couldn't stop auburn's offense um and virginia is just playing virginia basketball and it's playing Virginia basketball at its best. So, yeah, I, I think that the amount of parity in that top 10 to 12 really set up what was probably the best Elite Eight that we've seen in over a decade. You're out west and, and, and follow Gonzaga. Um, what, what was the reasoning for uh, a couple of those duds games in the, in the conference tournament and then in the Elite Eight? Hello, opinion? gentlemen. And Brian Morrow's joining hey, Brian. us. Um, Connor is with us. We, we've already started the show here, Brian. And I just asked Connor a little bit about Gonzaga's woes uh, late in the season, his thoughts on why uh, Gonzaga um, may have slipped up here late. I, I think in their game against St. Mary's, it had a lot to do with they just couldn't hit shots. Um, you know, every team is going to have a player or two that just can't seem to get on when they need it. Gonzaga had six of their top seven players not hitting open shots. And it wasn't like, yes, St. Mary slowed the game down, but Gonzaga was missing open shots. 
in their game against Texas Tech, however, it was the first time and the only time all season where Gonzaga's offense looked lost. Not It wasn't that they weren't making open shots. They were passing up open shots because it, almost as if because they weren't expecting to get them. Um, and they, they kept trying to do the same things over and over again uh, because that's what Texas Tech was kind of making them do. Texas Tech controlled that side of the floor, and Gonzaga just really couldn't figure out how to get, get by it. I was actually going to say that myself. Well, let me let me introduce Texas you. Tech. Let me introduce oh, you first, Brian sorry. Morrow, our buddy who's been on okay. the show several times, has joined us now, um, and, and we we've been talking about the uh, Sweet Sixteen and the Lead Eight, and your personal thoughts about the games over the weekend. So you can add in on Gonzaga or or go whatever okay. direction you want on what I thought were some real solid uh, games Thursday through Sunday. I agree. Uh, I'm just say sorry I was late. I had some things I, I had to take care of, but I'm here now. Second of all. Texas Tech does that to everyone. Every time I've watched them play in the games that they have that they've won, uh, I watched them play a lot. They played in Nebraska this year when Nebraska was rolling before they started in their little slide, and it was when Nebraska was putting up a ton of points. And Texas Tech did the same thing to them, Connor. They just made them look extremely lost and question every single shot they were going to get, whether it was open or not. They, they made them kind of settle to be jump shooters. Nothing could drive the lane because of Evans in the middle and Odiasi. So I noticed the same thing with Gonzaga and really every team they've played in the tournament. They've just kind of lulled them into this offensive, I don't know, an offensive, I guess, non-confident. And Gonzaga was the best offensive team I'd seen in a long time, and they couldn't do anything against Texas Tech. And we'll get we'll get to asking you later if that if you think that kind of effort is going to make a difference against Michigan State. But let's talk about a couple other games that were really good in the Elite 8 and none better than the Virginia Purdue game and Carson Edwards and Kyle Guy going back and forth. Carson Carson Edwards getting the best of it. Brian, when you were watching that game, what were you thinking about? <laughs> I was actually I was with one of my best friends actually watching that game um, cuz we just had him over for dinner and whatnot. But we both just kind of sat on our my couch in awe. Uh, Edwards, Purdue's really lucky that they have Carson Edwards because without Carson Edwards, they would have probably been buried in that game because nobody else was making anything. Of course, they didn't really have to. And I do think it was funny when that game, when Chris Weber just kept saying, buried inside to the big guy, buried inside to the big guy. Why? Carson Edwards is dismantling Virginia by himself. I mean, he was pulling up from basically half court making threes. It's just he didn't make he didn't make enough of them in overtime. I think he ran out of gas there. But that was his his overall performance in the tournament. He scored more points overall in the tournament than Steph Curry did that year. So he now has I think the the scoring record I believe in the tournament for most points scored. Or if not, he's really close to the record. But that that his overall tournament performance was exceptional. And what do I know, really? Because I had Purdue losing to Old Dominion in the first round. So I don't really know what I mean. Connor, have you ever seen a performance like that? Um, and, and thinking that they, that uh, Carson was going to shoot Purdue into the Final Four, I, I was really shocked that, that Virginia was able to stay with them and find enough offense to, to win that game. Yeah, I'm not really shocked that Virginia was able to find enough offense, but, I mean, that performance by Carson Edwards, especially against a defense – that is so good against 
uh, the best players on teams that tries to neutralize best players on teams was insane. And you don't normally see players shoot so efficiently from three on so many shots. Usually they start to get tired and it kind of falls off, but he, he shot over 50% from three on 19 shots. And, uh, you know, I mean, it was the reason why they were in the game. It was the reason why they had a chance to win at the end of regulation. So he was definitely deserving of regional player of the year, which he did get, which is I think the second time that a non uh, regional winner, like a team, not a player from not the regional winning team has won that award. Uh, Steph Curry being the other one. Um, and I think that, I mean, and we'll get to this later, the, the, you know, player of that game, while Carson Edwards kept Purdue in it, I mean, Diakite had four blocks, seven rebounds. He was shot six of 11. I mean, you're not going to look at his points total and think that he made, you know, this huge impact considering Jerome and, and Guy both averaged, what, 24 and 25. But he was he had his hands everywhere. He made the bucket that sent it into overtime. I mean, if, For if one any, of the most ridiculous passes that I've ever seen in my life. Kihei Clark is that was that was insane. <laughs> well, and, and that's the other thing is that Kihei Clark um, made a very well, I want to say he made a, a, a veteran move. But I mean, even most veteran point guards would probably dribble the ball up and, and try to get their own shot with that little time left. And he recognized the opening, made the pass and, and sent them into overtime where they had the opportunity to win. Our last um, Elite Eight question here, Duke uh, had survived two really close shots uh, to advance to the Elite Eight and then um, ran into uh, Michigan State with Goins hitting a, a three and a defensive stop by Michigan State. Um, and Duke doesn't make the Final Four. Connor, your thoughts on, on Duke's performance in the tournament and, and their loss, and, and maybe it's more of a Michigan State win. What did you think about that game? I think the issue with Duke is that they tried to play they tried to play the type of basketball, not type of basketball, not same style as Purdue, but but the in the sense that they went with one or two guys the entire way. And if those two guys weren't playing well in uh, RJ Barrett and Zion Williamson, Duke wasn't going to win. Um, and they really didn't develop. I mean, Coach K really didn't develop or utilize his role players to the extent that he usually does. And you, you saw it in this tournament. Um, and, I, and I think one of the issues is, is that when Zion Williamson went down and Duke did lose a couple of games to the top teams in the ACC, those role players, especially the freshman role players, took a little bit of a confidence hit. And they didn't play with the same edge they had been playing with prior to the Zion Williamson injury. And they started to default to Williamson under, I think, the assumption that he was the only way that they could win those high-level games, which is an issue against a team with the front court uh, at the level of Michigan State because they're going to do everything they can to neutralize a player who can shoot threes, I guess, relatively well for a big man but likes to do most of his damage you know, within five feet of the rim. Brian, your thoughts on, uh, on Duke's performance um... Um, in the tournament? I would give their performance in the tournament overall an F. They played terribly. 
Duke did not play well in the tournament at all. They should have lost to, to UCF. I still can't believe they didn't. Then I have no idea how Ahmad Hill missed that shot to send the game into overtime against Virginia Tech because it was point blank. And then Virginia Tech, they or not Virginia Tech, Michigan State, they had a chance early on in that game on a 13-0 run when they were up by nine to put Michigan State away and kind of cruise to victory, and they couldn't do it. They didn't play well. As Connor said, they kept, for some reason, in the Michigan State game, just feeding the ball to Zion, and he was nowhere near scoring a point, like points in that game. So instead of giving the ball to their shooters, they don't have many, but instead of letting Barrett do work or um, Cam Reddish do what he does, they just kept feeding the ball to Zion. And well, RJ Barrett overall didn't play very well, I don't think, in the entire tournament at all. I mean, I can understand giving the ball to Zion. I mean, look, Zion had 24 points. He shot over 50% from the floor. He shot 33% from three. Um, he's not a great free throw shooter. So obviously, if you foul him, he's not going to be the best person to put on the line. Had 14 rebounds. But as a whole, the only other player besides RJ Barrett and Zion Williamson, who I felt like developed the way a player usually develops within Coach K's system was Delorier over the course of the season. Trey Jones didn't really get better over the course of the season. Cam Reddish didn't really get better over the course of the season. Um, Goldwire had a, a little bit more of an impact towards the end, but really didn't get much better. Alex O'Connell, I thought, was going to be a pretty big impact player this season, really wasn't. It, it came down to if R.J. Barrett and Zion Williamson beat you, they beat you. If they didn't, they didn't. And that's a really dangerous way to play basketball. That leads Which most nights they did. But then you needed guys, and Connor, to piggyback off that. Sorry, Brian. That's okay. You needed guys like Jack White, who was, who was literally at Duke for one thing, and I was shooting, and he didn't make a three for what? It wasn't like a month and a half or something like that, over 30 before he finally made one in the regular season. And then O'Connell, as you said, didn't really provide much. And then they had Joey Baker, who they played – when Zion went down and looked okay, and I think he could have helped them in the tournament, they just didn't let him play. I don't know. So Coach K, K kind of out, K kind of overcoached. I thought a little bit. That that leads me to the next question, and I'm going to give you uh, kind of my impression, and then you guys can tear it apart if you want or agree. Um, one and dones are good for the college game because we see players like Zion and Barrett and, and other players in the college game when they wouldn't normally be in the game but when it comes down to winning six games in a row against quality competition in an NCAA tournament I question whether consistently year after year the best approach is to put either one um, one player with a bunch of inexperienced players like in Indiana with Romeo Langford or number or the second thing would be um, three or four one and dones and, and the talent really elevates Dukes and Kentucky to, to the battles. But I think in three or four games overall, I think you're finding experience is more valuable to winning in the tournament on a regular basis than it is a collection of talent. Go ahead, guys. We'll start out, um, Brian, with you. Tear that apart. Do you agree, disagree with the, the one and done? I've been pretty adamant in my whole I've – been, I've been adamant that I, I love the one and done rule. I don't think it should go away. I don't think it will ever go away. Um, because here's my thing. Duke and Kentucky and Syracuse and 
those schools that get the one and dones, Arizona, they know what they're getting into. They're building their team for that reason. Cal and Duke, or Calipari, sorry, Calipari in Kentucky and Coach K and Duke, they know that they have to go get players every single year. They build their team for that. They prepare for that. And usually, those are blue blood programs. Now, if you have the argument of those teams don't normally win a national title, I'll listen to that argument. I think it's just a weird coincidence that it hasn't happened yet. I do think that it can happen. And by no means, but I think one and dones are good for the game. By no means are is a elite eight a bad year for a program, Um, right? But but I'm saying to when you're at Kentucky and Duke, you want to win. They consider it a bad year because they want to win the title, right? Connor, your thoughts on on the collection of talent versus uh, the experience type of thing when it comes to tournament play? I think it has less to do with the one and dones on the roster and more to do with the lack of experience on the roster. I think that, I mean, if you look at for the perfect example of this would be the 2014, 2015 Duke team where you had Jaleel Okafor and justice Winslow and Tyus Jones, who were all one and done players and they won a national championship because they had Quinn cook. They had that steady senior play that was able to take these freshmen under his wing um, be the the experienced leader that he was and guide them to a national championship. I think what was lacking, especially on this Duke team, was they had no experienced leadership. And so you're you're leaning on an 18 year old 18 year old Zion Williamson to be a leader when he's more of a quiet guy. Not, I mean, he's he's humble, he's quiet, he he just goes out and does his thing. Um, I think that the reason why these teams are in the final four is not because they don't have one and dones. It's it's not for because they don't have, you know, the most talented freshmen. That's not it at all. The reason why they're there is because of Cassius Winston. The reason why they're there is because of Kyle Guy and Ty Jerome. The reason why they're there is because of, you know, Jarrett Culver. It's because they have these talented players who are experienced and able to lead these teams and not lose composure when the games get tough. And I, I agree with what both of you, you have said. I, I get a little frustrated with, with my school because the one and dones have come in and both years haven't made the tournament. Um, but I do think it's – I'd rather have talent in NCA than not have it in. Uh, but I do think experience combined with uh, superior freshman talent – is probably the way to get best team results in the long run. So you're listening to Sports Talk with Tonsoni, uh, a, a Delphi Bracketology production of Bracket U, a Final Four preview um, with uh, Connor Hope and Brian Morrow and myself, Brian Tonsoni. we got a couple more topics to cover before we uh, end the show. And this one, fellas, uh, we'll start with you, Connor. What was the best coaching move so far in the NCAA tournament uh, that, that you witnessed either in the first couple of rounds or the, the Sweet 16 Elite Eight round? Oh, geez. Um, Best coaching move. I, I, I think the best, well, the best coaching job, I think, has to go to Chris Beard. Um, I think the fact that he was able to neutralize the best offense in the country um, it, it, and make those adjustments when they were down by two at the half to really come out and just play 
consistent was the best coaching job. Other than that, I, I mean, I think the best coaching move was to, you know, Matt Painter just letting Carson Edwards do his thing. I think that he decided not to overcoach that team. Um, and, you know, had they had he started saying, let's play more team basketball, as it were, I, I don't know if they would have made it as far. Brian, to you, um, best coaching job or move or both uh, that you've seen in the tournament so far? So I will say the, the one of the best coached games I've seen so far this year in the tournament was the game Auburn against North Carolina. The game plan that Bruce Pearl wrote up to absolutely destroy North Carolina was something I didn't think he had that in him. That was a perfect game plan. They played really locked down defense, and they took every open shot. Now, you have to make them, obviously, when you take them. So it always doesn't look like it's great when they made them. So it looked like it was great. Chris Beard, again, to piggyback off what Connor said, I think Chris Beard is one of the most underrated coaches in the country. I think he's put him up there in the top five with Tony Bennett. You can put him up there with Roy, with Coach K. Beard, man, what he did this year at Texas Tech is something – I, him and Matt Painter should see, should 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 tie for co 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 coach of the year because Painter didn't have anything there, but as Connor said, he let them play. He let Klein and Carson Edwards, who are bad shot makers, just take a bunch of bad shots and make a ton of them you, you <laughs> this know, year. And then you have go ahead. We get the chance here because we're local by Purdue, uh, and they've been gracious enough to give us media credentials for our high school kids and, and faculty and cover Purdue. And here's what Matt Painter does. When something works, he sticks with it. And I mm -hmm. think that's great coaching, and it seems so simple, guys. But he'll run the same play. He ran it with, back with Hummel and, and Juwan Johnson, a side pick and roll. He'll run it six or seven times in a row because, until someone guards it in a way that they'll move to the next feature. He, he slips screens with harms. Uh, at key times and and when the player's hot he'll run action for Klein when Klein's hot and he'll run it for Edwards and I, I just think that's where I was going to go with the best coaching job and, and both of the decisions that Matt Painter made ended up not working out but I think it he stuck to his philosophy I asked him a question in December about fouling up three he said I'm leaning towards doing it but there are some concerns and one of them is getting the rebound but two or three things have to happen in order for it to be not work out well unfortunately for him it didn't work out and then the play he diagrammed down three and was really kind of uh interesting where he got the ball to edwards real quick and edwards was going to get it out of his hands before he got fouled and the catch for klein was at the three-point line so if they were going to intentionally foul klein could have gotten in into the shooting motion which is something he said to me and my question in the interview room in december and, and so sometimes great coaching moves don't work out um, but my, my goal mm -hmm. w w would be Matt Painter. So we got about 10, 15 minutes left, fellas. Um, I, I appreciate your time. It's, it's uh, uh, a Wednesday evening. Uh, let's go to the Final Four. And, and your analysis of uh, both games, uh, the first game will be Virginia uh, versus Auburn. Uh, Connor, um, who do you see winning, and what are the key issues uh, to watch as fans in, in that game, in your opinion? The biggest, the biggest thing to watch in this game is tempo. Who, whoever controls the tempo is going to win this game. And I think whoever controls the tempo is going to win this game by multiple possessions. Uh, if Auburn can keep this, this, the tempo fast, can speed Virginia up, which is not easy to do, 
can create turnovers against one of the most efficient offenses in the country and can get those open shots on the perimeter, I think Auburn will win by five or six. But on the flip side, if Virginia can slow Auburn down and make them play that true half court, make them work for those shots, don't turn the ball over, play smart. I mean, Virginia is what? They were fifth this year in three-point percentage made. So they can hit threes at a higher rate than Auburn can hit threes. They just don't, they know they don't have to, and they slow the game down and they can play inside. Uh, they can play outside. They, they play a really solid game on both ends. I like, Aub- or, sorry, I like Virginia to win this game. I think that they control the tempo. I think that their defense is just going to be a little bit too much for Auburn to get those open shots that they were getting against uh, UNC and, and Kentucky at times. And I think that the Cavaliers are going to move on to the national championship game. Brian, Virginia, Auburn. Um, well, that's just kind of – so Auburn, they're hot, man. I mean, they, I, didn't ex- I didn't expect them to win the SEC tournament. I definitely did not expect them to get this far. And the team that they've beat and to get this to this point, boat raced Kansas, crushed North Carolina, and they beat Kentucky. So they've now beat Kentucky, well, at least twice this year. They just beat them in the SEC tournament, so they beat Kentucky twice in the last three weeks. They are a really good shooting team, and they're playing really well right now behind Jared Harper and Bryce Brown. Without OKK in this game, though, it's going to be a challenge because Diakite and DeAndre Hunter are going to be able to get inside for Virginia. They're going to probably, as Connor said, they're going to be able to slow the pace down. Virginia doesn't care. Like the thing with Virginia that is so appealing to me and why people think it's boring basketball, which it's not, but the people that think that because they don't change doing what they do ever. I mean, they could play a team like Duke who gets up and down the floor and they got beat twice badly, but then they play North Carolina who likes to get up and down the floor and they beat them. They beat them twice. So it's just one of them things, man, if they're making shots, which, as Connor said, they're more efficient shooting threes than Auburn is, but they don't take as many. But Kyle Guy hasn't played very well. But if they can get to the rim, which they can, play their defense, which they're going to, survive maybe Brown or Harper going off for 30, which is possible, they should be able to win. I don't know if it's as wide of a margin as Connor says. I think it might be a little bit closer than that. But I still think Virginia can win. But – with what Auburn's done so far in the tournament, them winning wouldn't surprise me at all. You know, you bring up a good point with both of these games. It wouldn't surprise me of either team in either semifinal wins. I think you can make the case for each one. Here's the case. Virginia's pack line defense really limited Purdue in the paint um, in the first half. And despite mm-hmm. the hot shooting, uh, they were in a ball game because they, they had really solid two-point uh, field goal defense. You saw Purdue emphasize trying to get the ball inside. They posted up the point guard and they went inside to Travion Williams uh, because they knew they probably couldn't sustain the three-point shooting. And even when it stayed hot, um, I think that's an important. And I think the rebounding factor is is really big with the bigs of Virginia versus a, a smaller uh, because of the injury to um, Okiki. Uh, and, and Auburn's done a good job of gang rebounding. Uh, but Auburn's going to have to turn Virginia over and get up and down. Uh, but, but like you said, boy, they have beaten quality teams, um, and yeah. it wouldn't surprise you to beat another one. So we'll go to and you. And Virginia doesn't, Virginia doesn't turn the ball over, and they don't foul. So no. two things that, are gonna, that you need to have happen to beat them, and they, just, they, they don't turn the ball over, and they don't foul. Ty Jerome and K.A. Clark never turn the ball over. And, and the reason I'm leaning towards Virginia because um, 
Auburn only shot 30% against Kentucky, but they used their quickness in the matchup. When they went small, they were able to beat uh, Kentucky's bigs into the lane for easy baskets. I don't know that they get those kind of easy twos, so they're really going to have to be hot in order. Uh, so I see Virginia. So let's go to Michigan State uh, and Texas Tech. Brian, we'll start with you. Um, who do you see winning, and what are the key aspects for fans to watch in, in that second semifinal? This is a hard game to pick because if Texas Tech – Texas Tech is the one team that I've seen that can be that can play like one of the best teams in the country offensively and with their defense and basically lose to anybody because they mean in the Big 12 tournament and some of the games in the Big 12 they just didn't look very good. But the way they're playing now it's going to be re- I think this game is going to be one of those really low scoring like grinded out games because I don't know if I don't know if Texas Tech has the offensive weapons outside of Culver to score enough points to put up a, to light up the scoreboard against Michigan State, and I don't know if Michigan State, especially with the way Texas Tech's defense is going, is going to be able to get into an offensive rhythm because Gonzaga was the one team that always was in an offensive rhythm, and they completely confused them and Buffalo who was another team who scored a ton of points, couldn't figure out how to put the ball in the basket against Texas Tech either. Connor, your thoughts on the second semifinal? I think when it comes down to, I think it's going to be closer than the other game. I think this game, I agree with Brian, I think it's going to be a slow, grinded-out game. I think that Texas Tech does have the weapons as long as they're hitting. Texas Tech, really, their offense does run through Culver, but they have other players who can also go off. I mean, Matt Mooney in that game against Gonzaga was just was flying through the defense and taking some weird shots and making them. Um, I think that the two components of this game I'm going to look for is Cassius Winston likes to blow by his on-ball defender a lot to get to the middle, and Texas Tech invites that a little bit. Uh, they want you to to think that you have this sense of security blowing by the defender, and all of a sudden you're on, you're stuck on the baseline with three guys in your face. Uh, so Cassius Winston, who is a senior and has stepped up in pretty much every big moment that he could for Michigan State this year, needs to once again step up. And the other the other matchup I think is on the interior. I think that uh, Tariq Owens and Odiasi against uh, Ward and Tillman and, and Goins of Michigan State. I like Texas Tech more in that matchup, and I think that's why I'm going to lean Texas Tech to make it to the national championship game um, because I think that Michigan State's going to find themselves in a situation where Cassius Winston has to win this game, and I think that Texas Tech's defense is to the point where if you're relying on a point guard to win that game, like Gonzaga kind of relied on Josh Perkins down the stretch, and while Josh Perkins played well, nobody else was able to get anything going. So uh, I'm going to lean Texas Tech. I think it's going to be a close one, one or two points either way. But I think the the Raiders are going to go to the national championship game. Connor, when you say that, Connor, when they funnel everything to the middle, they just funnel it there, and then you have they funnel it away. They yeah, funnel like it away it, from the middle. Oh, yeah, it's yeah, crazy. But they, yeah, but they they want you to they want you to go at Evans and Odiasi right. because they know that they're not going to foul you and just clean everything up. It goes up towards the rim, but then yeah. they do funnel you sort of kind of away from the basket towards the baseline where you have nothing else to do. Connor, I think yeah. you then are just... you are spot on with the with the Cassius Winston defense. Um, I was I was at the IU game when Indiana beat them, and one of the things that uh, 
the IU point guard played extremely well defensively that day. And it still was a one-point, two-point game. Um, I think the key, obviously, it's, it's, it's obvious to slow down Cassius Winston, but they rely so heavily on him, and Texas Tech is a solid defensive team. That's what makes me lean towards Texas Tech, too, is that um, playing Duke and LSU in the regional, those teams are talented, but I don't know that they're as strong defensively as Texas Tech. Um, and so, you know, it'll be interesting. On the other hand, Izzo is a genius. He, he, he did some nice things in taking advantage of Duke's switching, and he never put Zion in the ball screen at top with Cassius because he wanted Zion to be off the ball help, and he thought he could beat Delorier off the dribble or in a, in a recovery situation. So Izzo's pretty smart in giving him four days or five days to prepare that's going to be a game. So we're about to, to wrap this up. Let's pick a national championship. Um, who's going to be your national champion? We'll start with you, Connor. Who's cutting down the nets next Monday night? So, I mean, obviously, I, I just said I have Virginia against Texas Tech in my national championship game. On defense, the, the thing about both these teams is that neither one of them relies on individual defensive efforts. They rely on the team playing and being in the right spots. Um, and if anyone is caught out of position, there's usually always someone there to help and then someone there to help the helper so that there's no really easy shots unless you get that skip pass across uh, the court. And, and those shots are never really uh, clean looks or, or easy shots to make. I think that going into this one, at, at some point... Texas Tech's offense is going to take a hit. And they really, they've played some tough defenses, but I don't know if they've played a defense that could be as versatile and as tough as Virginia's. It's hard for me to pick against Texas Tech, but I think that Virginia's just too efficient on offense and on defense to pick against moving forward. So I'm going to go with the Cavaliers to cut down the nets on Monday. Brian, your pick. I'm going to go with Michigan State to cut down the nets. I don't know why, but I feel this Izzo team is special because of Cassius, because of, um, like you said, the senior leadership, the camaraderie that this team seems to have. And I know it's going to be tough for them to beat Texas Tech, but they've had a bunch of guys step up. They've had Gabe Brown step up in a game. Aaron Henry stepped up in a game. Uh, Tillman's been stepping up. Kenny Goins is stepping up. Tillman made a three against Duke to kind of extend that lead. The guy made three all year, and then he makes one of one of the biggest moments of the year. So it just I there's gotten contributions from everybody, and if that continues to happen, plus this is going to be the best, obviously the best team that Texas Tech has faced this year, the way they're both playing. I think that game's going to be close, and then Virginia, Virginia, Michigan State's going to be a huge grinder. But I just don't know if – I don't know. If Izzo gets to the final and the way he's been playing and the way he's coached, and as Connor said, he's a genius, he knows he's going to have one day to prepare. But I think he'll find a way to beat, to beat Michigan State. Uh, can I, mean, I just say – I mean. yeah. yeah, go ahead, Connor. Can I just say that this is the first time I can remember where watching each of these Final Four teams move through the tournament, you just – you had this sense that it was the, quote, team of destiny. I mean, Michigan State, with all the doubt um, at the beginning of the year, especially after they lost Langford, uh, and just being able to beat Duke, who was billed as this super team coming into the tournament. 
Texas Tech is the only team that hasn't faced any issues this entire tournament. They just plug along. They haven't looked insanely good on offense um, comparatively to a team like Auburn, who has rolled through some really tough teams to get to where they were. They're the highest seeded team in the Final Four. And then Virginia, who last year, obviously everyone knows, lost to a 16 seed, and now they're sitting two games away from a national championship. Each one of these teams has something special going on for them, and I can't remember the last time that a Final Four had this many storylines to run off of. I, I I was just going to say that Virginia losing to a 16 seed and then winning the national championship would be a good good bounce back. I'm leaning towards Virginia uh, to, to, to win the, the whole thing. Does And the last question, and, and we'll sign off, these are our thoughts about basketball. Do you as fans have a favorite uh, that you're rooting for and not your basketball analysis uh, different? Is that different than who you think is going to win? Connor, uh, we'll start with you. Uh, I'm going to run Texas Tech. Um, you know, if, if Gonzaga's going to lose, they might make it for the third time in five years where they've lost to the eventual national championship team. Um, it, Chris Beard with the storyline of, you know, what, just five years ago being a D2 head coach and now being in the Final Four, taking a team that lost as much as it did and putting a better product on the floor than the season prior. Um and, and just the fact that there's going to be a national, there would be a national championship in Lubbock, Texas. I, I think I, I, I'm rooting for Texas Tech to win this national championship. Brian, who are you rooting for? I, I have a huge soft spot in my heart. I'm kind of, I do like all Virginia sports. I don't know why, but they're a team that I kind of find myself rooting for. I mean, I'm living in Nebraska. I've always rooted, for, I've always rooted for their baseball team when they get to Omaha. Um, so, you know, it's just one of those teams I usually root for. Tony Bennett is a stand-up, classy dude who took all of that stuff and all of the ribbing last year in stride. He's taken everything in stride. He He's accepted the criticism that came with getting beat by a 16 seed. I mean, and the guy, even if people have said he can't win in the tournament because of the style you play, he's not deviating from that. He's not changing it. I also they have Virginia has a lot of likable guys in Kyle Guy, Ty Jerome, Kihei Clark, Diakite. I do like Virginia a lot. I'm kind of rooting for them to win it just because I want to see them come back from that actual devastation from last year that was hard to watch. I really am a like DeAndre Hunter. And I guess for my sort of conference affiliation, I'll go with Michigan State. Even though I'm not a giant fan of Michigan State, but as you know, Brian, I do a lot of this for my dad, um, who, you know, there's a hot soft spot in my heart. My dad was a, a, a kind of a – he was a Michigan State guy. He was a – I mean, he was obviously a huge Nebraska fan, Duke fan, but he also he, – he did enjoy watching Michigan State play because of Tom Izzo, and he grew up in the Magic Johnson era. So, he, you know, he, he, saw, he saw the best of Michigan State. So, if either of those two teams win it, I'll be okay. I, I'm going to be – go ahead, Connor. My dream scenario, um, and and I tweeted out about him randomly last uh, last summer, uh, just because he's one of I call him one of my five favorite players in college basketball, um, and and it's and it's kind of sad that he beat my favorite team, uh, but my dream scenario would be Texas Tech winning the national championship and Tariq Owens taking home the Final Four Most Outstanding Player. 
averaging four blocks a game and you know 12 points or whatever he's going to average <laughs> that's good stuff i'm gonna i'm rooting for michigan state i'm a big Izzo fan um and and the big 10 fan i would not i would not be disappointed if texas tech beats michigan state i'll probably be rooting for texas tech on monday i love uh tony bennett and, and what he stands for so any of those three bring it home i actually like the way bruce pearl coaches uh some of the antics and the show cause thing lead me to to think a little bit differently towards him um but I, that's why I'm going to enjoy this Final Four. I think I like defense, and, and several of these teams play outstanding defense. Good senior leadership. I All think, of them yeah, play outstanding defense. And uh, I think that's going to be um, fun to watch. And, and gentlemen, I, I appreciate talking to you. We've done some preseason stuff. Um, Brian, we'll do some baseball stuff again. I know you like to do these podcasts. I'll get back with you here in a month after baseball gets going and we start figuring out what's working and not working in the major leagues. Um, and it con- depends upon what the Red Sox record is at that point yeah. in time. Because I might be over baseball. And Connor, you shared you're going to do some uh, backpacking and some outdoor stuff um, now that uh, our favorite sport is is off for a while. I, and I appreciate your guys' work uh, with me and and what you do um, towards uh, college sports. It's it's a lot of fun. And I thank you for being on this show and enjoy the game Saturday. Yeah, have a good one, guys. Okay, so this will do it for Sports Talk with Tonsoni. I'm Brian Tonsoni for Connor Hope and Brian Morrow. We say thank you and happy hoops watching. So long. Thank you. All right, Connor, I have to ask you one question because I didn't actually get to ask you. Did you did did you cry when Perkins committed that technical? Um, I was so I was at the game and I was sitting behind that.